Hello everyone, I'm Ellis Traub and this is Money, Business and More. My bad, I missed a week coming up with new podcasts, but for the life of me with all that was going on, I just couldn't wrap my mind around anything to talk about, didn't change by the time I figured out what to say about it. So I focused on doing what all older folks should do, provision as best we can, hunker down, and turn our thoughts inward to make sure that we do everything we can to not only give our families and us the best chance of coming out the other side of this pandemic thing okay, but contribute our share to helping our country get over it as soon as possible by social distancing, virtually hibernating, and taking special pains with personal hygiene. But today the dust seems to have settled to some extent. Miracle of miracles, an obstreperous Senate has come together to unanimously pass a bill that by all appearances can assure us that the economy can bounce back when the medical crisis is over. And an equally partisan House of Representatives shows signs that it will, while not unanimously maybe, at least get the bill to the president to sign as quickly as it can. So, a light at the end of the tunnel, if not glowing, is at least flickering faintly, and it would seem that there may be a foreseeable end to one of the most serious calamities to afflict the world in in the history of our country. About a month ago, I produced a podcast that dealt with the steps you should consider taking to avoid the ravages of a recession on you and your business. In that podcast, I made the point that we were then enjoying the benefits of what was arguably the healthiest economy in the history of our country, but that any number of possible events could trigger a downturn. Who would have foreseen or who could have foreseen that such an event would strike like lightning the very next week? But to put things in perspective, have we not been in such good shape economically, the consequences of this horrific pandemic would have been infinitely worse. While we were surely unprepared for the extent of the public health aspects of the coronavirus, industries that were roaring at high capacity with a workforce that was stronger than ever were in a position to rise to the occasion as they did in World War II and convert their production to meet the soaring needs of the medical community. And they did. That workforce was financially far better able to sustain a hit than they would have been had they still been staggering from the effects of the Great Recession. The financial institutions, which had been at the epicenter of that recession, and in many ways were its cause, were healthy and in better shape than ever, and with uncustomary quick and appropriate action being taken by our government to make this crisis a temporary one, there's every reason to expect the darkness in this tunnel to give way to sunlight in short order. So while it's important to lay the groundwork for hope, and it's vital that we dwell on the many ways in which we are luckier than just about anywhere else in the world, all of the things we want to look forward to won't happen unless we focus on the present and take the steps that we have to take to make them happen, both as a nation and in our personal and business lives. And that's what we're going to deal with for the balance of this podcast. There are three areas that I want to talk about, and all of these require that we take a deep breath, exhale slowly, calm down, and apply common sense to our situation. The first is the realities we have to deal with so far as the coronavirus pandemic is concerned. One of the worst aspects of this crisis, 
and the thing that causes the most fear, despair, and depression, and yes, even the lethargy that kept me from being able to sit down and write something coherent over the last week or two, is the uncertainty about what's going to do to us, what can we do about it, and whether we can escape it or not. Worst case, are we going to die? Are we going to get sick? Are we going to starve because we run out of food? The shelves in the markets are bare, and nobody's producing, transporting, or selling the things we need. These are all physical issues, and they're at the heart of our survival. How about our loved ones? Will they survive, be sick, and require our care? By far, the most important issue we have to consider is our health. It's often said that your health is the most important thing. With it, you can handle most anything. Without it, you're roadkill. On the assumption that one of the greatest causes of fear is the loss of control, let's take the first step in conquering our fear by realizing that there's no reason why you should relinquish your control over what happens to your body. I've been very much impressed with the caliber of health professionals who populate the president's coronavirus task force. Say what you will about our president, and there have been times when I've said a lot that probably I shouldn't, He's charged the vice president with the responsibility for coalescing the thinking of some of the best qualified scientists and medical professionals in the world. And they have served as a constant and consistent source of wisdom, common sense, and confidence throughout. They are believable because they're quick to acknowledge what they don't know and articulate about explaining what they do. Listening to them, you have the certainty that when they say everything is going to be okay, it will and they all do, but they just don't know when. What they do know is that the time it will take will be shortened spectacularly if everyone is willing to follow the guidelines that they've come up with for our personal behavior. The bottom line here is contagion. If you don't have the disease, you have the ability to keep from getting it simply by avoiding any contact with those who do or might have it. That's common sense. Let's review those guidelines. If you feel sick, stay home. If your children are sick, keep them home and call your doctor. If you're an older person and or have an underlying health condition, stay home. If someone in your household has tested positive, keep your whole family home. Work or study from home. Avoid social gatherings of more than 10 people. If you can't or don't cook at home, have your food delivered or get takeout. Don't go anywhere you don't absolutely have to. Don't visit older sick people unless it's to provide critical assistance. And finally, practice good hygiene, which means washing your hands often, especially after touching frequently used surfaces, mail or other objects from outside sources. Don't touch your face. Sneeze into a tissue or your elbow and disinfect frequently used surfaces often. Simply put, the more you keep to yourself, the sooner it will be over. When I see kids ignoring these guidelines, partying, going to the beach, or even see a flotilla of parents partying on their boats, I cringe because no one apparently has ever explained to them that it's just plain selfish to be unwilling to be alone for a while to keep others as well as yourself from being exposed and to help make the length of time everyone will be affected this way as short as possible. And admittedly, if we were able to know how long these guidelines will be required, it would be a lot easier. The fact that we've not been given a time when we can look forward to some relief makes it tough for people to adhere to them. However, what the experts do know 
is that there is a time when it will subside. They're studying the data from all over the world, hour by hour, and there's lots of it to study. And from what I gather, in every country, depending entirely how well their inhabitants observe these guidelines and how conscientiously those nations take steps to contain this invisible enemy, the length of time it takes for it to run its course is predictable. Perhaps even more importantly, the most telling statistic is what percentage of those who contract this virus will die from it. Here, the math is key. Until every citizen of every country is tested, it's impossible to tell how many are actually sick. And until we know that, we can't tell with any accuracy what percentage of them will die. What we do know is how many people actually do die from the virus. And as we accelerate the number of people who test positive, the faster that percentage declines. From that, there's a statistic that we can take heart from. And that is, at the time I'm preparing this podcast for publication, the lowest percentage in the world is in South Korea. And that's because they were better prepared than we were and were able to test far more of their citizens right out of the gate. And the percentage of deaths in South Korea was a mere 1.2%. In our case, while we are unprepared to start with, as of this moment, we have already increased our ability to test to a point we are now testing 40 times as many people in a week as they can. And that number is increasing, actually accelerating every day. This means that even though the actual number of deaths from the coronavirus is increasing, the percentage of those is actually declining, and hopefully it will continue to decline as we test more and more people. With that in mind, the percentage of deaths recorded in the same period was only 1.3, a tiny fraction above those in South Korea. And if we can continue to keep it from growing in our country by following the guidelines, it will stay that low or become lower. Compare that figure with Italy, whose death rate is above 7%, Iran with a rate of above 6%, and Spain, which is around 4% in the same period. Are we just lucky, or have we been more prudent than any other country? It doesn't matter why, we're simply in better shape than any other country, given the size and differences that exist from state to state. Obviously, the more dense the population is, and the more urbanized the state is, the more severe and tenacious the virus will be, and the more vital it is that those states observe the guidelines that will ultimately contain and curb the growth of the virus. The long and short of it is that we can control our destiny if we're willing to do it, and thankfully most Americans have shown themselves to be willing to bite the bullet and do what's required. So we can expect that relative to the rest of the world, we'll be done with it sooner than most. Let's take a short break and we'll come back to talk about the other two issues, the American economy as a whole, and finally what you can do personally to survive the economic crisis. Did you know that you have access to a personal mentor to help you with your business issues? Whether you're starting a new business or trying to improve the way an existing business runs, you'll find them at SCORE.org. This is the website for SCORE, the Service Corps of Retired Executives. It's an arm of the U.S. Small Business Administration and consists of thousands of volunteers in more than 300 cities across the United States. And the best part is that their services are offered at no cost to you. At SCORE.org, 
You can enter your zip code and find a list of local mentors, each showing his or her areas of expertise, and you can schedule your own appointment at a convenient time and location. SCORE also offers a variety of regular workshops presented by professionals in their fields. You can see a current schedule of those events and pre-register on the spot. Some general classes are offered free of charge, while others have a modest fee, which is usually discounted for pre-registration. Check it out! SCORE is the place to go to find someone whose experience may be just what you need. We've done our best to apply common sense to concerns about our health. Now let's talk about the economic considerations. Again, we're in better shape than most. Let's first talk about the big picture, the American economy. Unlike any other financial crisis in history, this is one that is self-inflicted. In any other previous downturn, it's been triggered by economic considerations and policy. This downturn is very different. In the middle of a thriving economy, we've been blindsided by a disease that has swept the entire world. All of the elements of that economy are still in place, so we're far better prepared to meet the challenge than we've ever been. And the downturn has been the result of our taking the necessary steps to defeat the invisible enemy that's attacked us. We've ordered healthy businesses to close, workers to stay home from work, and commerce to come to a halt. Just as in World War II, we've taken positive steps to mobilize against the enemy. we put the health and safety of our citizens first, and we've deliberately closed down our country so as to minimize the effect of the scourge. And we'll continue to do this until we've defeated that enemy. Because we've taken the steps we have and done so early and effectively, we should be able to beat this pandemic in fairly short order. Depending on how well we adhere to the guidelines recommended by highly qualified health professionals, we could be out of the woods as early as this coming Easter, but if the health problem lingers, we'll continue as long as it takes. At the same time, our government has come together to create a financial package whose purpose is to prevent this crisis from making the economic consequences of this war from becoming long-lasting. By injecting unprecedented funds into the economy on a temporary basis, it's enabling the industries and small businesses that provide the jobs, as well as individuals themselves, to survive through the crisis and to start where they left off before the crisis began, and to do so on a much stronger footing than was ever possible in times past. Don't expect to wake up one morning and find that it's over. That's just not going to happen. But as soon as the data is available, the professionals we rely on will be able to tell us to get back to work and open for business once again. Not all at once, but a little bit at a time. In parts of our country where the coronavirus has had the least effect, folks can go right back to work and start producing again. Little by little, as the problem eases, more and more of this hibernating giant will be able to get back to work and produce the things we need, deliver it to the less fortunate, and begin to feed money back into the economy until finally the whole country will be able to come back and satisfy all of the demand for goods and service that has been growing while we were unable to pay for them. And as with most recoveries, the momentum from that bounce back will likely fuel a stronger economy than we had when we first attacked. And with that rebound, we'll be able to responsibly recover the funds that were temporarily committed to preserving what we had to give up, just as we did in the years following the Second World War. 
So common sense tells us that we have a lot to look forward to. Finally, let's take a few minutes to deal with the realities of the present. Yes, the country is largely out of the work. Yes, our personal finances are suffering. And yes, we're having to do without a lot of things we've taken for granted over the years. All of this optimistic talk doesn't lessen the pain that most of us are having to deal with in the moment. So what can we do to deal with the personal crisis that each of us is having to face in here and now? There are some specific steps that you can take to minimize the impact of this crisis and ensure that, like the country as a whole, you and your family can survive and come out the other side in good shape. To be on the safe side, it's best to assume that you're on your own and despite what you've heard, can expect no help from the government. And believe it or not, it's entirely possible. The first step is to get a realistic view of your own financial position. Most in this country don't have enough savings to cover the cost of getting up in the morning if and when their paychecks evaporate. In fact, some reports show that the average American has less than $500 set aside to meet an emergency like this one. So what can they do if they live paycheck to paycheck and those paychecks stop? First thing to do is to recognize that you're not alone. No lender or vendor is going to single you out and take away what you have or need while others are treated differently. But there are ways you can ensure that you will be treated better than others that don't take the steps I'm about to outline for you. The second step you need to do is to look at the four corners of survival. Food, shelter, health, and transportation. And if you spend nothing for anything else, you can survive if those things are covered. Immediately stop making any more payments to anyone. You'll need to conserve your cash for your food and other such necessities. And when I say necessities, be sure you analyze everything to be sure it really is necessary. Next, you'll need to create a budget. And by the way, you might find it helpful to listen to an earlier podcast I produced called Managing Your Money. It gives you some details about your budgeting. The most important element in budgeting is to create priorities. And that's what you'll do. Food is obviously the most important priority. And you're in the best position to know what's next important to you for survival. Water is as important as food for survival. Obviously, your health is the next most important item. So put aside whatever you need to cover meds that you need on a daily basis. If you have your health, the rest comes a lot easier. Keeping a roof over your head is the next most important. This consideration includes the cost of your utilities. Power, water, and so on are essential. So budget your limited resources to make good on those payments if you can. If you can't, budget what you can and contact the utility to let them know that you'll pay them all you can and make the rest up when you go back to work. Your mortgage or your rent is vital, but it's not in the same urgent category as your food, your meds, or your utilities. However, the watchword is, if you can't pay your bills, you must at least pay attention to them, and your mortgage or rent is important. So the most important thing you can do here is to make it a point to figure out just how much you can afford to give your landlord or lender and then contact them as soon as possible. The sooner you call them and go on record with them that you need some relief, the better you'll stand in their eyes 
and this means that they'll be more likely to deal favorably with you than others who don't because they'll regard you as being responsible and reliable. Keep records of who you talked to and what you said. Landlords may be willing to defer a month's rent or more, and when the crisis is over and you're making an income again, allow you to spread those deferred payments over the rest of your lease. You should make that proposal to them. Under the circumstances, they're not likely to consider evicting you when so many others are in the same straits and good tenants are hard to find. Similarly, a mortgage lender will regard you as a responsible party if you take the initiative and contact them as soon as you think you won't be able to make the next payment. So long as you're not in arrears, they may well be receptive to deferring your payment and adding it to the end of the mortgage. You might also offer to pay interest only until it's over. But be careful of that. In many cases, especially if the mortgage is not mature, the interest comprises the bulk of the payment. As with the rent, you do have some leverage because it's not in the bank's best interest to evict you and hope to sell your home to someone else in the current climate, so don't hesitate to be firm about what you can spend. Negotiate the best deal you can get with that leverage. Odds are that bank policies will have been relaxed in view of the crisis. How about car loans? Transportation is clearly a necessity. Although you don't need the car to get to work when you're out of work, you'll need it as soon as you're ready to return. This is more difficult because it's a lot easier to repossess a car than it is a home. But the most important thing here, again, is taking the initiative and contacting your lender. While you don't have nearly the leverage here, you do have the benefit of giving your lender the opportunity to get all of the money that's coming to them and then some. By showing your responsibility and sincere desire to make good on your loan, you can ask for deferral until the crisis is over and again suggest that you structure your payments so as to catch up over the balance of the loan period. They'll come out far better by doing that than they would if they have to bear the cost of repossession and the subsequent wholesaling or reselling of a car whose value decreased by nearly a third when you drove it off the showroom floor. Student debt is another difficult problem. Although you have the advantage of its being an unsecured loan, and they have nothing to repossess. Once again, showing your responsibility by taking initiative to call them will produce some good results when you appeal for some kind of payment abatement for the duration of the problem. The same holds true for credit card debt. Showing your responsibility by taking initiative right away will put you in a position of favor and they'll likely favor you above others who don't take that action. Long story short, all of your creditors have to understand that the whole world that owes them money is in the same boat as you, and you're way better a client than those who simply fail to meet those obligations and take the initiative in telling them that you can't. Any other items I may have missed here are subject to the same advice. Show those you owe that you're responsible, and they'll give you the benefit of the doubt when they won't do it for others. Finally, I just want to say that while the worst may be yet to come, and it probably is, there's still an end to this. And you can take heart at the fact that you have control of your lives, no matter how bad it may seem. This is the dark before the dawn, and the more proactive you are in managing your affairs through this crisis, the better will be the outcome. Keep your eyes and ears open for the things that will make it better for you. Relying on yourself without depending upon anyone else, including a government that owes you nothing, can make you very proud of yourself, and if the government does happen to come through, you're way ahead of the game.
Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Be sure to visit our website at moneybusinessmore.com. All one word. There you find lots more information, blogs, a reference library, and message boards to chat with others who have the same interest as you have. There's where you can request topics for new podcasts that we'll create for you as soon as more than one listener wants it. And you'll be able to give us the feedback we need to make this resource the best it can be. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already done so.